Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those who are called by God to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're teaching warriors to fight for the human heart because only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Hello, everyone. Pastor Kara here. Uh, welcome to Season 2 of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. My goal is to equip everyone with a bent towards spiritual coaching or, or just those who are church leaders, um, and to do that by offering training and truth along with the encouragement we all need. In this season, we're going to move beyond that philosophical foundation of spiritual coaching. That's what we covered in, in, in season one. We're going to move on to discuss the heart of the spiritual coach themselves. Uh, and as, as I've been saying, be sure to go back, listen, make sure you listen to all the season one episodes because what is coming is based on what has been. Uh, my spiritual coaching page is tworivers.church backslash life coaching, and that's hyphenated, tworivers.church with the backslash life coaching hyphenated. There is quite a bit of growing content there that you can use uh, in your in your coaching ministry and in your leadership ministry. And also, in an effort to keep this content coming, I did not re-record uh, the intro that my wife did, uh, but the um, Twitter handle that she gave you isn't correct anymore. Uh, Instead of TRCSCP, you want to use at uh, PKSC Podcast. PK for Spiritual Coaching. SC, no, PK for Pastor Kerry. SC for Spiritual Coaching. And Podcast for Podcasts. That's at PKSC Spiritual Coaching. You will find me there. All right. Um, This is content that I presented at a leadership retreat for all of our leaders across our multiple sites here at our church. And um, unfortunately, some of the content didn't get recorded the way I would like it to have been. So I'm going to record this episode here. And then next time out, I'll record half of it. And you'll begin to get the audio from the uh, retreat itself, the live audio effect. uh, uh, in, In next week's episode, you can... Listen for it. You can hear an airplane flying overhead. I tried to cut everything out I could, but that I could not remove. Um, the theme of this spiritual retreat that we did outside in a pavilion at uh, near a pond that some people in our church own, uh, I call it Keep the Fight Clean. It's the heart of the leader that leads the leader. Kind of just really focusing on um, um, it. it's what comes from inside that matters for any Christ follower but specifically and uh, for, for leaders. It's the heart of the leader that leads the leader. It's not the, the head that leads the leader. It's the heart that leads the leader. And so we're putting some of that content out here for you to help you, you grow personally, um, whatever your, your role is in, in ministry. So I, I'm going to begin today by talking about putting your heart on trial. Uh, and we cannot just put our actions on trial as a way of measuring how much like Christ we are or how godly a life we're living. We must put our heart on trial as well. Otherwise, godly actions can be godless depending on whether our heart is self-centered or God-centered. Or your, your motives can taint your actions. There's a certain state of heart that is part of what Jesus Christ carried while walking on earth. We, we saw that earlier when we talked about Jesus' healthy sense of self in a previous episode. He withdrew from the crowds and frustrated his disciples, both to spend time with the Father and to leave good ministry behind in order to complete the Father's mission. 
And the religious leaders of the day were more than frustrated with Jesus and his continual resistance to them. Uh, he buckled, he bucked the system and blew up the status quo in order to love people and obey his father. All those differentiated actions came from a healthy heart. It's Jesus' attitude that we need to have as well as his actions. Let me repeat that. It is the heart, Jesus' heart, his attitude that we need as well as his actions. We are not just called to live like Jesus, but to have the same attitude he had, to think of ourselves the way Jesus did. And of course, that's based on Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where we read that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How Jesus thought about himself, his humility, and his obedience to God all led him to forfeit his godly privileges and uh, take the place of a, stay, uh, of a slave instead of that of the king of the universe and to die a criminal's death by enduring the torture of crucifixion. Jesus knew who he was and what the Father was asking him to do and why. Uh, king David was of the same sort. Um, God replaced rebellious King Saul with David because of his heart. It was like God's, and that meant he did what God wanted. Acts 13.22 says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. See the order there. A man after my own heart, not my actions. So because he's a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. So we need to take Socrates' advice even. Know yourself. The ancient Greek aphorism and one of the Delphic maxims was know yourself. Um, do you know that deep longings, what, what deep longings and thirsts are in your heart? Do you know where you are pretending and where you're living fully? And how well do you know yourself? So I built this Next 12 questions. I built this uh, section out of excerpts I took from Larry Crabb's Inside Out. Um, added a bunch of my own stuff from it. It's chapter 6 and 7 from his book. If you want to find some of that content, uh, you will find some of it here in this, and a lot of it you won't. So here are some questions you can ask yourself just to kind of put your heart on trial and see what condition you are in right now in your inner person. So, are you pretending? First question, are you pretending? Most of us cope with life by pretending. We pretend we haven't been hurt as badly as we have. We pretend that our past was not so bad. We fake an emotional stability that's not true underneath. We use spin, exaggeration, and deceit to make ourselves seem more important to others. In many Christian circles and homes, maintaining a comfortable distance from inside problems is strongly encouraged. Denial is the name you're looking for here. There are just some things we don't talk about. We tend to keep our distance from our own and others' feelings. Getting too close to our own and others' emotions and internal pain is too uncomfortable. So we hide the inside truth from others and from ourselves. Are we pretending? Are we somebody on the outside that we are not on the inside? Number two, does peer pressure tempt you to go against your conscience? Do you talk yourself into ignoring your conscience when peers pressure you to partake in something your heart tells you that you should walk away from? 
off-color jokes, gender-critical jokes, dirty jokes, anything that compromises your faith or convictions because you're afraid of the verbal abuse you'll endure for doing so. This is where the fear of man comes into play, the fear of rejection, and generally the fear of what others think will, um, will, will be what we base our choices on. Fear that tempts you to make choices you wouldn't make apart from those fears. Do, does peer pressure tempt you to go against your conscience? Number three, are you awake and aware? You know, until I got married, I was not aware of just how wounded my heart was. It's hard to believe. I look back now from the vantage point of time, and I don't see how I could not have known, but I didn't. No one ever taught me what it meant when I had the problems I did as a child. No one, no one uh, ever showed me how to be aware. No one around me was aware. No one showed me what to do with my emotions and my pain. We were all just trying to get along. We, we move on when we should stop and feel. We, 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 we told ourselves, well, I'll just let it roll off my back, pretending we're not wounded. Truth is, no one can let it just roll off uh, unless you're not awake and aware. Acknowledgement and healthy processing needs to happen in order to just roll a fence off into the gutter. Uh, if you use that statement, you're probably unaware. You're not awake and aware. If you were not taught how to be or to stay aware of what's going on in your heart, you probably are unaware. If we, aren't, if we aren't in the habit of practicing awareness, of listening to our emotions, you're unaware. And awareness of thirst is an unavoidable first step towards real change. Without an awareness of deep thirst, our pursuit of God will be disciplined at best. And with it, our pursuit, without it, our pursuit cannot be passionate. All right, number four. Do you carry around unexpressed emotions? Deadening the pain of unmet longing does not make them go away, nor does the passage of time. The emotional ache simply goes underground where it can't be dealt with effectively. Left unknown and untouched, it continues to press for relief with increasingly subtle urgency. And, and unexpected emotions leak into onto the innocent that are in proximity to us. The person who manages to deny his or her pain behind a facade of togetherness is dangerously vulnerable to developing compulsively sinful habits. This is because they're not dealing a death blow to the wrong strategies that we've used to numb the pain and that always end up blocking our enjoyment of the Lord. Most habits that we seem powerless to control grow out of our attempts to relieve the unbearable tension that results from our failure to deal with the disappointments of our deepest longings for relationships. Failure to deal with strong emotions doesn't mean they aren't there and, and won't grow and spread like cancer. That's exactly what they'll do. While unexpressed, the emotion is not unheard. It just doesn't know what we're speaking. You just don't know what's speaking. <laughs> we just don't know where it's coming from. It's still coming out. We just don't identify it properly. When our approach to life revolves around discipline and commitment and, and you know knowledge, but runs from feeling the hurt of unmet longings, then our efforts to love will be marked more by required action than by liberating passion. short break to give your brain a rest. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carrie to offer feedback, to suggest topics for future episodes, or to ask a question, there are a few easy ways to do that. You can message him on Twitter. 
Just search for at TRCSCP. That's an at sign followed by the letters TRCSCP. If you prefer Facebook Messenger, you can search for at PK Spiritual Coaching. That's at PK Spiritual Coaching. Or you can simply email him at Gary at Two Rivers Church. As you might expect, we'd appreciate it if you'd rate us on iTunes and like and share the podcast as well as our Twitter and Facebook pages so that other church leaders and spiritual coaches can find this helpful content. All right, let's return now to our current episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Closely connected to that are, are you emotionally flatlined? or unstable. Those are two extremes of the pendulum. This is when emotionally flatlined is when you feel like feel little or nothing at times when most healthy and aware people would feel deeply. It doesn't mean you don't feel it. It's just that you so aptly stuffed it over the years that you become disconnected from your emotions. Your subconscious buries them automatically for you. When you were young for being weak or wimpy or girly for expressing emotions. Is there trauma in your past that you, you were not helped to process or that no one around you processed? A death no one really ever talked about. Maybe on the other side of this, we can't control our emotions. We get very emotional over the lightest, littlest of things. We over-emote because we have so many unexpressed emotions that when we open that door, they all come rushing out. Or we don't feel for the or we don't feel for the fear of them all flowing unstoppably out. See, the two extremes. We're either mostly flatlined, we don't feel anything. Actually, we feel it, but we're disconnected from those feelings. Or there's emotionally instability, where we feel everything. We feel strongly about everyone. We react disproportionately. So are you emotionally flatlined or unstable? Do you overreact? Um, like number five there, the unstable thing. When we're pushed, we'll react out of our darkness, self-protections, positioning, and control rather than love and the Spirit's guidance. A slight events from another can trigger a reaction far more intense than the injury warrants. Why? Well, perhaps the disturbing event pushed us closer to that chronic pain within, closer to the ache of profound disappointment we desperately deny. Self-protection or trust, every behavior ultimately reflects one choice or the other. And self-protection is a silent killer of true community. Our insulating layers of friendliness and appropriate involvement work to keep us from touching the terrible pain of previously felt disappointment. We will not recognize the subtle sin of self-protection until we realize the pain from which we want to protect ourselves. People who stay away from the hurt tend to develop a matter-of-fact relationship with Christ. People who embrace their hurt are apt to pursue God more passionately. All right, number number seven, putting your heart on trial. Have you picked rotten fruit only? So much more is involved in changing from the inside out than pulling rotten fruit from the tree. Changing from the inside out requires that we look beneath the surface of life to see not only the deep longings of our thirsty soul, but also the self-protected commitments of our deceitful heart. Too often in our efforts to change, we deal only with the clearly sinful behavior measured by visible conformity to biblical standards. We pick the rotten fruit and leave the good fruit, trying to make the tree look completely healthy. A careful look at our style of relating is required. A a careful look at why the fruit is partially 
consistently and predictably rotten. We will not see the self-protection if we look only at the effect, only at the fruit. We need to look more carefully at our style of relating and observe its function. Self-protection often drives what is applauded by those who only see the clean outside of the cup. People can become moral, thoughtful, disciplined, and dedicated without deeply depending on Christ. Have you picked only the rotten fruit? In other words, have you um, acted against the external ugliness, um, left whatever external bits that you think are beautiful, and never even addressed what is in the vine or the trunk or, or the roots or what is in your heart. Number eight, do you impulsively act fleshly? Like Gideon's soldiers that were sent home? Do you find yourself extremely tempted or in frequent defeat to fleshly temptations? When given the chance to feed an appetite, any appetite or a specific one, do you impulsively do it without really thinking about it or entertaining the idea of not feeding it? Do you impulsively feed your baser appetites even after deciding you would not do it anymore? Do you feel trapped to repeat those fleshly impulses even though you've begged God to free you? Discipline and determination won't work against heart desires that are fed by emotional longings and wounds. All right. Number nine, do you use courage to cover fear? Like some of Gideon's soldiers, do you respond with courage when inside you're consumed with your own fear, self-appetites, and longings? Is the external vibrato just smoke and mirrors designed to mask the stench of fear that you're afraid others will pick up on? It may only be pretend courage that you show people to avoid letting them see your fear or weakness. Particular favorite of the masculine gender, we feign confidence to compensate for our self-doubt. Are you aware of how you fake confidence when you feel fear? Or does that just seem normal and natural to you? Ah, uh, number 10. Do you work when you should worship? Like Martha, do you have trouble walking away from unfinished work and projects? Do you choose to produce instead of reduce your output in order to be alone with God? Let me repeat that. Do you choose to produce instead of reduce your output in order to be alone with God? Do you accuse those that apparently do nothing while lounging around in communion with God of being lazy or uncommitted? Do you compare yourself with them, thinking that you have made the better choice? Do you think that getting something done is more important than doing tedious heart work on a habitual basis? Check not just what you say you believe, but what uh, you think when you're not thinking, and what you do when you're not thinking. Do you feel fine about missing time alone with God if it means you get more accomplished, or do you genuinely miss it? Are you drawn away from producing into practicing being present with God? That leads into number 11. Do you rest enough? Jesus' discipline to maintain himself and his connection with the Father is our model. He knew when to withdraw and to rest and to connect with his Father. Often that, looked like, often that looks like we're not doing or producing anything. No direct ministry is happening, which is a mistake, but an understandable one if you consider it from a certain point of view. This is this as as very important place that boundaries need to be set and protected. This is a very important place where boundaries need to be set and protected. 
Do we take time away from work to rest? Or better, do we habitually take enough time to rest, recharge, and Sabbath? When it comes to setting healthy boundaries, deep inner wounds that are unidentified and unprocessed will sabotage any effort to set and enforce truly healthy boundaries. And rest will be especially difficult if, number 12, we're driven. The question is, are you driven? An insatiable drive to do more and be more. It's a drive that may be marked by charitable and positive motives, but in reality originates in deep, perhaps even unconscious, feelings of inadequacy and shame. The technical term here is called compulsivity. All right, so in that book, We Are Driven, um, they make several generalizations about typically driven people. Frequently, they have confused human doing for human being. They're perfectionist. Frequently, they're the oldest child. Uh, and remember, the firstborn is again, uh, firstborn again five years after five years gap. So you might be a firstborn and not be the firstborn if there was five years between you and your next oldest sibling. So um, um, typically driven people frequently have confused human doing for human being, they're perfectionists. They're frequently the oldest child. They frequently have above average intelligence or at least get good grades because they work hard. Some questions from that book, We Are Driven. Here's some questions from the Emotionally Healthy, from Emotional Healthy Spirituality, Chapter 2 by Pete Scazzaro. Top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Okay, this is just going to whet your appetite here to go get the book and read it because there's a lot of good stuff in emotionally healthy spirituality. All right, it's impossible to be um, um, emotionally immature and be spiritually mature. You can't do it. Okay, top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality using God, you know, ministry and God stuff to run from God. Okay, we're so busy serving God that we spend little time with God. Number two, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Okay, we, we devalue and repress these God-given emotions and don't let them um, alert us to what's going on in our heart. We just ignore them and blow right past them and, and, and submerge them. Uh, number three, dying to the wrong things. Okay, it's the idea of dying self, dying to self, but we die to the parts of ourselves, the good parts of us, holding on to lies that diminish us. Number four, uh, denying the past impact on the present. Uh, a symptom of emotional, emotionally unhealthy spirituality is when we deny the past impact on our present. Another symptom is dividing our lives into a secular and secular compartments when there's two people inside the same skin. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. Number seven, spiritualizing away conflict so as to avoid it. Uh, we, we won't engage in conflict. We just kind of use some spiritual whatever and we avoid conflict and, and, and never deal with, with, with that um, inevitable reality of life, doing life with others. Number eight, uh, num the tenth symptom, or eighth symptom, is covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. We hide it. We hide from it. And we pretend we're okay. Notice that there are some reoccurring themes here with the other uh, books I referenced. Number nine, living without limits or boundaries. Being, be, you know, believing that good Christians always say yes and never say no. Never turn people down for 
viable ministry. And 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. You know, against our own, so as to elevate ourselves. All right, 10 symptoms of emotionally healthy, unhealthy spirituality. Um, emotionally unhealthy spirituality um, by Pete Scazzaro. All right. And um, in chapter four, there is actually a section on differentiation, living faithfully to your true self. You can put yourself on a scale of one to a hundred, one being completely undifferentiated and ten being completely true to yourself with Jesus as the example. There's a test there that you can take and actually grade yourself with that if you pick up that book. Uh, go to my website, uh, tworivers.church backslash life coaching, which is hyphenated. You can find the book there and it will link you straight to it on Amazon. Uh, I would appreciate you doing that. So, uh, as a way of summarizing, you should have noticed the overlapping nature of these categories of 12 questions that I began with, with this second group of 10, and even with those three bullets of typically driven people I shared with you from the book We Are Driven. Um, maybe just a single yes to one of these items that I've talked about in this episode. Um, maybe all you need to conclude that your heart needs some attention, or Rather than being brought up short on any particular one of these bullets, you may get more of a, a general feeling about your heart condition. And all that I've said kind of washes together into a, uh, an overwhelming general feeling that, man, I need to do some work. Either way, awareness of our inner thirst is the beginning of closer fellowship with God. So the temporary pain that, it stirs, that is stirred up, no matter how permanent it seems, is worth it. Movement towards pain may seem like suicide, but just the opposite is true. Um, the choice before us is kind of is rather stark. Either live to um, to be comfortable, okay, internally especially, but externally also, or live to know God. Right, you you can just try to ignore everything you can and just be comfortable, or you know, or you can live to know God. One choice excludes the other. You have to become well uh, known to yourself in order to know God well. Well, that's it for today's episode. Uh, next week, or next episode, we're going to talk about finding your voice. I will begin that one with some recorded content here in the studio, and then we will move over into the content that I recorded at that spiritual leadership retreat. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. I pray that God can use this training to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are anywhere near upstate New York, specifically the Binghamton area, look Pastor Kerry up. He'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Remember, only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Thank you.